So by now, I'm hoping that you've heard about the brand new PodCore subscription that Speech Therapy PD has rolled out. For $79 a month, you get over 175 hours of ASHA continuing education with 19 new episodes a month. That's fantastic. Well, they want to make sure that you also know we have a brand new coupon code. So the coupon code is F as in first, B as in bite, followed by the number 20, FB20. And that brand new coupon code will give you $20 off the PodCore subscription. So you get 175 hours of continuing ed plus an average of 19 new hours a month, all for $59 a year. And we cover everything from early intervention to schools to adults to ethics. So be sure to type in F as in first, B as in bite, and then the number's 20. Enjoy your coupon, or as my kin folks say, enjoy that coupon. Hi, folks, and welcome to First Bite, fed, fun, and functional a speech therapy podcast sponsored by speechtherapypd.com. I am your host on this nerd venture, Michelle Dawson, MS, CCC, SLP, CLC, the all things PEDS SLP. I am a colleague in the trenches of home health early intervention right there with you. I run my own private practice, Heartwood Speech Therapy, here in Town, South Carolina, and I guest lecture nationwide on best practices for early intervention for the medically complex and fragile child. First Bite's mission is short and sweet, to bring light, hope, knowledge, and joy to the pediatric clinician, parent, or advocate. By way of a nerdy conversation, so there's plenty of laughter too. In this podcast, we cover everything from AAC to breastfeeding, ethics on how to run a private practice, pediatric dysphagia to clinical supervision, and all other topics in the world of pediatric speech pathology. Our goal is to bring evidence-based practice straight to you by interviewing subject matter experts to break down the communication barriers so that we can access the knowledge of their fields. Or, as a close friend says, to build the bridge. By bringing other professionals and experts in our field together, we hope to spark advocacy joy and passion for continuing to grow and advance care for our little ones. Every fourth episode, I join in. I'm Erin Forward, MSP, CCC, SLP, the Yankee byway of Rochester, New York transplant who actually inspired this journey. I bring a different perspective, that of a newish clinician with experience in early intervention, pediatric acute care, and nonprofit pediatric outpatient settings. So sit back, relax, and watch out for all our squirrels and enjoy this geeky gig brought to you by SpeechTherapyPD.com. Happy end of April, everybody. So today's guest is basically the queen of gratitude, and I am talking about none other than the lovely Marie can you say it, love? I sure can. Murataya. Thank you. Perfect. I could not say it that pretty, and I wanted to be respectful. Um, Marie Murataya? I tried. Hey, that was, like, <laughs> yeah. really close. Almost. <laughs> this is why I teach people to swallow and not our tick. Ta-da. Disclaimer. The fabulous SLP behind Thanks Morris on Instagram. So here's the deal. We are a year and change into this pandemic, and truth be told, some days are better than others for me. Some days are hard. Parent coaching in a pandemic, caregiver coaching in a pandemic, and or the inability to easily access the daycare workers or the sped teachers or the early interventionist or the service coordinators or the physicians because I can't easily pop by to hand off reports to everyone or I can't easily schedule an in-service to do a training on a new AAC device or I can't easily participate in an IEP or an IFSP meeting because I don't know our times don't jive or we're homeschooling or internet connection is shot. Y'all, all those frustrations make our jobs difficult. But here's what I can do. I can flip that script and I can focus on joy. 
I can choose to be grateful for the aspects of my job that I can do to open doors for my patients and their families. I can choose joy, I can choose gratitude, and I can choose kindness. And when I focus on those aspects, my days get better. So Marie, thank you for joining us. And like, seriously, I'm dying to know the backstory behind yeah. Thanks Morris. So like, hi, <laughs> welcome. Hi. <laughs> okay, so like, but for real, how did that happen? The the handle, right? The Instagram. Yes, the yeah. So when I was, I guess it was back when I was graduating. So like four years ago now, when I knew I wanted to make my Instagram, originally I had no like intention. I didn't really know there was a whole Instagram SLP community. Me <laughs> either. Like, You're cool. It's fine. <laughs> right. I think, I think I'm still in a bit of a shock that like now I can commu- I communicate with so many SLPs like so quickly and it's awesome. But I, you know, that, that was not, I never thought about making a, an Instagram before being a speech pathologist. I just wanted to make one to kind of have a balance um, and just more of a creative outlet, I guess. Um, more of like a, you know, which is what it is partially is, you know, that like reflective outlet where I can post something and, and write out a caption, kind of like I would write a blog. Um, and a big part of what I knew I would want to share in that Instagram was gratitude and how important that is to me. I didn't know on what level, <laughs> just didn't know it would take off the way it has, but I just knew that it would be a good outlet for me. And so um, I was kind of, you know, thinking, okay, like I need a I need a cool like Instagram name and my boyfriend, um, he always is giving me nicknames. Like we never, we've never been like babe or hun or anything to each other. It's, it's always been random nicknames and he's the type too, where it like the nicknames evolve. Like he doesn't even call me Morris anymore, but at the time he did. And I really liked that nickname, but that was even like my fourth nickname that he'd given me (laughs) at that point. Um, It had evolved from Maurice actually. Um, And so he, one day we were talking and I, I knew I was like, okay, I'm going to create an Instagram and I wanted to have the name Morris in it because I love that nickname and it was very special. And we were having a conversation. He's like, Oh, well, thanks Morris or whatever. And I was like, that's the name. That's it. You know? And he was like, yeah, that's perfect. Cause you like, you talk all the time about your gratitude journaling to me. And I know you want to talk about that and all that stuff. And so that's kind of where it came from. And then, you know, now it's, it's kind of funny to me cause I'm so um, involved in the SLP side of it on Instagram but my name, sometimes I'm like, I bet you people are confused. Like, is she a speech pathologist or what is her deal? Um, I love it when people comment. Like if I comment on somebody's photo, they'll comment back and they'll be like, oh, thank you, Morris. You know, so now it's kind of turned into some people do call me Morris. Uh, my own brother calls me Morris now. It's fun. Yeah, that, that's a lot better. They call me spit. Because I look like my dad, except I get my mustache waxed. So, like, I mean, Morris is a lot better than spit. But, like, my dad would say, like, baby girl, I just spit you right out. You look just like me. And I'm like, oi vey, do I ever mustache at all? Uh, But, yeah, I did did tell Marie before we started, I was like, the catch is, I turned 38. And now when I go to get my mustache handled, dude, the beauty parlor lady has to take care of my chin too, because like, <laughs> like that's a thing now. So, and all the middle-aged women are like, yes, yes, it yeah. is. <laughs> and I'm old. <laughs> but okay. All right. Okay. So how did you get to be an SLP? Like what drew you this to this profession? Yeah. Tell me that part. So I, I, it, to me, it's a weird story, but I think a lot of, um, you know, people in college, they go through this process of like, what am I going to do? I was never one in high school that was like, I know I want to do this. When I was really little, I knew I maybe would want to be a teacher. Like you could always find me on the weekends, bossing my brother and sister around to, you know, and making them play school with me. Um, And when they wouldn't, I would set up my dolls and stuffed animals (laughs) in school. But I don't know. I was never the most patient child. And my mom, I remember in like seventh grade, she's like, are you sure you want to be a teacher? Because my mom's a teacher. And yeah, and she That's was very, profound. very honest with me. Yeah, just like you're, you're not a very patient person with your siblings, and you know, and not just with them. I mean, she saw me with, with other kids, and was like, you just, you're very controlling, <laughs> and um, you know. But that that was the type A in me, I guess, that got me through to grad school. But 
I ended up in like, I don't know, end of high school early because I ended up at community college because I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I was like, well, I'm just going to start out in community college. But I really fell in love with biology and wanting to be a biologist. And it was really fun. And I geeked out a lot over biology. But then I took chemistry courses and started to question it all over again. It's because there's letters in there. I'm sorry. The second you add letters to math, I'm out. I'm out, dude. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It was just like, and all the conversions and all this stuff. I'm like, I just want to learn like more about plants and cells (laughs) that it's not fun when you have to do all of the, the crazy chemistry. And I was, I, I mean, I was crying over tests and, and really like, what am I doing? I'm not happy or whatever. And I mean, I was only in college. So, you know, just, just taking on that challenge of really young adulthood. But then I had a a course like in our in one of my communications courses, we were we were required to do a like a community service project. And you had to go in because I took small group communication. You had to find a serve like a place you could volunteer at that ha- had small groups that you could observe their communication. And so me being not lazy, but just like using what I had to my advantage. I was like, mom, I want to come observe at your school because I don't, you know, want to have to to search too much for this one. I know I could observe in like the RSP class, the um, like a special ed class, because that was something that had interested me since high school too, was maybe being a special education teacher, which, you know, but then I had my mom in my head, like, you're not very patient. <laughs> so I was like, I don't know. But in in that small groups course, I was like 19, and when I was volunteering in the sixth grade special education classroom, but it was like the resource specialist program, so kids would come in for a period, and we would help them kind of like work on work from their mainstream classes. I I got to really, I got to work in groups of like two, one or two kids, and, you know, work with them kind of knowing their IEP goals, and I just really enjoyed it, and I really, I made a connection with one little guy, well, he was sixth grader, one young man, (laughs) and he was um, on the spectrum. And we just had a really good connection. I really, I think was doing a lot of the things I do now, but kind of instinctively, um, as far Mm -hmm. as maybe following his lead, as far as, you know, getting on his level and and just letting him kind of talk when he needed to talk and not talk when he didn't feel like talking and things like that. And after working with him one day on a particularly hard day, um, that he was having the, the, uh, I think she was one of the instructional aides in the class came up to me and she's like, you know, you'd make a really good speech pathologist. And I was like, what's a speech pathologist, <laughs> which I think everybody has, every speech pathologist has had, like, I don't know. I think most SLPs I've talked to can remember that moment of when they learned yes. what a speech pathologist was. Yes. Cause I was like, I've never heard of this. And she's like, you know, like the the speech teacher, the speech therapist. And I was like, oh, like when kids in elementary school went to speech? And she yes. was like, yeah. And I was like, oh, that's like that's like a person? I thought it was a class. <laughs> Emily laughing because that's true. That's how all, yeah. that's true for all of us. Yes. It's, you're like, oh, like that's, that's an actual, leader. yeah, career. So then I went home right that day and I looked it up and I was like, dude, like speech therapists are amazing. Like look at all these things they can do. And I was really intrigued. And then I was really excited because, you know, when I looked it up, there was a lot about like cognitive therapy and the brain science behind language development and swallowing and um, all of that stuff, like the medical side. And I was like, maybe this is something I should look into because it kind of has like you know, the science stuff that I'm really into, but there's no chemistry. And then I really enjoyed working with these kids. I loved working with them so much that after that six-week assignment was done, I stayed through the end of the semester and then went back the next year and helped out in the class because I was like, I, I loved it. And I that kind of showed me like, maybe I should be going that direction. And so I looked into schools in Southern California to finish off my undergrad in communicative sciences and disorders. And then I, I did it and then went to grad school and, and here I am four years after graduating. But it was just about, I think what really clicked for me was those connections, building a, con- like having, having a clinician kind of perspective and knowing that like that connection was so meaningful for me. And it definitely was meaningful for, you know, the students that really, it just made it solid for me. Like, yeah, this is what I, 
I feel like I could thrive here. That's, that was why I stayed in EI. Mm -hmm. It was because I've done, I've done inpatient, I've done SNF, I've done schools, I've done everything. But for me, it was the bond that you developed and, and how you get to be part of that journey. Like that for me is what made EI stick. Cause it yeah. for sure was not the boogers. Cause there's a lot of that. <laughs> so like, sorry, as today, like it's like full blown pollen season of doom. Like the yellow oh, flag yeah. is here. And so yeah. like, like I was wiping noses like all day long and then washing hands and then sanitizing, but like, Oh yeah. Not my bugs. <laughs> but like, uh, yeah. And then coming home and doing it on repeat with goose and bear. So like, <laughs> also theirs are the size now they need to handle that themselves. Okay. All right, so we, thank you. Those are really raw, honest com questions. So thank you for sharing. I oh, yeah. appreciate that. Yes. Okay, so you work in a SPED, in a school that has special education, like a preschool program, correct? Yes. So like what ages do you work with? I work with, and I have to say, I love our program because it's a full inclusion program. So I'm the, in the classrooms, instead of there being like a mod severe class and a mild mod class and then a general education class, they're all in one class. That's amazing. Yeah. That's it's, amazing. It's fantastic. And I actually last week on Instagram posted a gripe that I have about it or a grievance because, you know, we have this amazing program for them in preschool and they spend two years here and then they go to kindergarten and it's all taken away because those kids <sighs> that have more severe impairments or needs, I should say, um, you know, there's not the supports in a general education classroom in kindergarten or transitional kindergarten. And so, you know, we have to, we have to suggest, I feel like my hands are always tied. I'm like, no, they deserve this, this program, but we don't have it. We don't have the supports and the manpower in a classroom. Mm -hmm. So we have to look at a self-contained classroom or something, you know, and it's just, it gets frustrating for me. That's, that's yes. the only grievance I have because the program is amazing. It's just, no, I, I feel that there's a, um, there's a phenomenal program that I unabashedly refer to. It's called Epworths. It's through the United Methodist Church here. They fund this program, and this is phenomenal. It is a half-day program that's in, it's open inclusion. So mm -hmm. they have typically developing and then children with special needs from, the, I think, two to five is their age ranges. To go five days a week for half days, so like three hours um, a day or three to four hours a day, it's only $375 for the entire month. Wow. Right? Wow. Right? That's awesome. And and they and they and they open this door and and that's and they do, I promise this correlates to today, but like they engage in a lot of coaching mm -hmm. and a lot of scaffolding with families for mm -hmm. like how to address developmental norms and their actual teachers, which is like unheard of. Like it's People view it as a daycare, but they're like actually certified early childhood teachers. Wow. And it's just, and they sell ice cream for fundraisers oh. and it's legit amazing ice cream. So y'all in the summertime, check out Epworth's ice cream. <laughs> oh like, my gosh. <laughs> it's really good. I'm like, I will take one for the team and eat your ice cream as a fundraiser. Huzzah. Okay. All right. But for you in this setting, how do you, how do you go about doing parent coaching? in that setting for early intervention? And why do you feel that this is important? So, okay. And I'll back up because I didn't quite answer your question. I know, but I work Sorry. with, yes. no, 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 you know, you're, you're good. I feel bad. Cause I, I went on my little rant. Um, <laughs> it's okay. Good rant. Totally. It is rant. good rant, but uh, I work, you know, our program, so it's full inclusion. So there's a gen ed teacher or general education teacher and a special education, early childhood teacher. Both are, both are early childhood teachers. They're both in the classroom together with two other instructional aides. And then the kids. So it's wonderful manpower in, in the classroom with tr really well-trained aides, which that's going to tie in a little bit into, you know, talking about parent coaching, because really how I utilize my coaching skills <laughs> with the aides and the teachers. But then, you know, I have kids sometimes as soon as they turn three, because <laughs> I've had plenty of kids come on their third birthday. Parents are like, okay, you're starting three to five or three to until they go to transitional kinder or kindergarten, basically. And so I get to see them for their full two years or sometimes two and a half, almost three years of preschool. And a couple years ago, we asked our district to, which they do have to, you know, I had my little grievance, but I will say I'm super grateful because they sent 
all our preschool SLPs, which there's like four of us that went and did this, we got Hannon certified. Um, Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, if your district is willing to, if they ask you if you want to get Hannon certified and they're going to foot the bill, like say yes, because I don't think that will ever happen for me again. <laughs> we're, we're like, they're willing to spend all that money. You know, it's a three-day training. It's an amazing training. And so I did the It Takes Two to Talk program where I became certified to do to hold parent trainings and coaching. So I, you know, I, I learned all and I have all my, you know, books, I have all my resources and materials for that. But then we, you know, we go back to work all inspired after this amazing conference and we're in the like height of our springtime transition meeting, IEP writing, report writing, testing season, and never really got to roll it out. And we had planned on, you know, doing kind of something where it was like once a month or once, you know, every so often we could have parent training nights with, you know, certain parents from our caseload that wanted to, you know, wanted more support and training. And then COVID happened and that, cause that the plan was for this school year to do that. And so now we're all virtual. Well, the beauty of being virtual is I've gotten the chance not only to have more communication with families, but to kind of build up my confidence. Yes. In communicating, because, you know, when you're school-based and you're not going into the homes all the time or you're not having that contact with the parent at when they come bring their child to the clinic or whatever it is, um, you don't, you know, you see the parents maybe once or twice a year in an IEP meeting. In preschool, I do think we have the benefit of parents, you know, since it's their child's first time in school, they do tend to be a little bit more communicative with you know, making sure they, they email me or I, you know, when I send out my newsletters and stuff, they respond because they want to kind of keep track of how things are going for their little ones. Um, but it's still very hard to, you know, I've, I've opened up opportunities, um, you know, at certain, like it, a time in each trimester of our school year where I'm like, Hey, like, if you want to come into your child's speech session, please do. But usually parents, you know, when their kids are at pre- in preschool, they're like, this is my time to either you know, go do what I need to do for me, um, go grocery shopping, go do all those things. And so it's, it's a little bit harder, I think, since their speech sessions are built into their school day. So with virtual therapy, I've been able to really use some of those skills that I got at the Hannon training, because my ultimate goal is to make or not make, but help parents feel empowered to do what I would what I'm doing in speech sessions with their child. So I've, you know, another, another way that I'll do it too, is even in IEP meetings, I'll bring my little, like, you know, my uh, speech room news handouts, my, sometimes my hand in handouts where I'm like, this is where your child's at. And these are the things you can do to support that next level. But again, it's just hard when I can't be like, this is our, we're going to do a parent training program. And I'm going to have you help me come up with the goals you want. Cause that's the whole hand in thing. The parent gets to be, you know, talking about the goals. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, with, with the virtual though, I have really with some of a good handful of my students, I have really like focused on that. And, you know, when their IEP meetings are coming up and I'm doing parent coaching sessions, I'll just be like, what, what goals are you feeling? You know, what's functional in your home? So that way we can support them since they are at home during virtual learning. (laughs) You know, I, I, I can't, not that I can't do it, but some of the, you know, maybe more educational types of goals or the style of a school-based, even in preschool, school-based communication goal, it's definitely, you know, we're looking at how they function in a classroom. But most of my kids, you know, I mean, some of them are back, but some of them still aren't. And so we're like, you know, they're functioning at home. So let's just talk about what what's going on at home. That's how I'd prefer to write goals anyways. Yes. Okay, so I've got like 400 different thoughts here. Sorry. And I'm so, no, 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 no. I'm so excited. This is amazing. One, I just did the Google on the Hannon and I'm now going to have to reach out and get that person on first bite. So like, let's put a prayer <laughs> on that. And then yeah. um, two, they're, all of their workshops are full right now. So I'm going to have to like get on the wait list because I didn't yeah. look at that while you were talking. Okay, with parent coaching, you hit the nail on the head when you said we have to find out what's functional for them. 
Mm-hmm. Y'all, we are so guilty as a profession of saying, okay, well, this is the developmental norms. This is what we need to work on. This is where the child should be according to the Brown stages of language development. Right. And like, I am so personally guilty of having done that for an extended period of time. But what is, we have to look at what's functional for the family. And that means you have to start with the questions of like, what's, what's the easy part of your day? What goes mm-hmm. well? Okay, so what's the hard part of your day? All right, so talk to me about that scenario. Is it like we're struggling to pick out a food to eat or like we're really struggling to get dressed in the morning? I had to, I did that as a mom. I had to sit back and analyze what was going on with Bear. And like with Bear getting dressed in the morning, putting on his shirt was a train wreck. And we couldn't figure out what it was. And you know what? We finally figured it out when like, I was like, I can't get anything over his head unless I like stretch the, the neck out. I mean, dude, he's got a giant dome. Like bless <laughs> that kid. I'm so in one hand, I'm really kind of grateful that he was a preemie because if he'd been in there any longer, like they would have, this would not have happened. Right. But it turns out his tube was not in the way that it was supposed to be in. And so when the shirt went down on his ears and it hit his ears, it was really causing him a lot of pain, but he had such delayed speech. Like he didn't start putting words together. Like, like, I mean, he had maybe 25 words by like two and change. So like we were, but I mean, like he couldn't hear hence surgeries and tubes and preemies and life and blah, 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 blah. And now the kid won't shut up. He's just like his mother. But anywho, that was, that was the hard part of my day. And so the OT that I worked with was like, okay, so what's going on? Is it like, is he having like, what part of this is like sensory? What part? Cause you know, I mean, I consulted with those who know more than me to help break down my point of system breakdowns and my daily routine. Mm-hmm. And it took us to the pediatrician's office. Cause I was like, look, it's just this ear and I don't know what about the shirt and she looked in there and she was like oh it's the tube and then like popped it out and we had to go back in for more surgery but asking those questions because then we come in and add the language for this point of system breakdowns right exactly that's awesome yeah Yeah. and I think that's when I you know I think I had a pretty good, I like from grad school in my clinics and in working with parents. Cause I also, I had a, I had a professor in grad school who was hand and trained. So obviously she awesome. imparted a lot of that and she had us kind of basically doing hand and style. I, I can't say we were hand and being hand and trained, but we, you know, we're doing hand and style things based on how she taught us and with the parents. So that gave me a really good grasp on the importance of it. And it, I think per like personally too, I just really believe in, like you said, like that functional piece versus, you know, I don't know, looking at, at those developmental norms and, and all that stuff. Those are helpful. They're guides, but they're not always, you know, an end all be all when we're working in EI or with preschoolers who, you know, just need to just need to have things functional so they get their needs and wants met and so they I mean I know it sounds so um naive sometimes I feel like I say this a lot but I I really believe like you know if a child's not enjoying the situation they're not going to grow from it if we're like prompting the heck out of them because we really want them to imitate us signing eat but there you know there's no real joy in the interaction for them then there's no point to try and force them to do this sign or you know Mm-hmm. And so I think having getting fully certified in parent training and really like understanding the importance of that and the importance of working alongside families, like, yeah, we have the, the letters and the degrees behind our name, but sometimes I look at the situation rather than me, rather than me even being a coach or a parent trainer, I'm like, I just feel like I'm kind of here to help facilitate to make it easier when I'm not there. Yeah. Yes, we get folks on a good week. You get an hour with the family and the child. Right. You, if it's a good week, right? <laughs> I mean, and then and then you have the weeks where you walk in. I mean, like I'm doing home based services where like I walk in and like 
somebody's <laughs> this one little boy every Monday like clockwork he poops when it's like I swear <laughs> on my life I show up and like he poos and so like today we did an in-service with his fed preschool on the AAC device and like what we've set up and like seeking to understand how we can like bridge this with his um sped classroom and uh <laughs> he like pooped like clockwork and the teachers were like oh wow, that's strong. And the mom was like, yeah, every, every once a week for the last two years, he does when Michelle's around. And I'm like, glad to know that I stimulate him. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> like that's a 15 minute process. So now I'm cut down to 45 uh, minutes, but there are 168 weeks, sun, a little wrong, 168 hours in a week. We get them one hour. That means the rest of the time, 167 hours, they are with the families or with other caregivers. Right. You cannot affect change in one hour a week if you're doing only direct service. Right. If you model direct service um, and you do like hybrid where you're modeling intervention and parent coaching, or if you're relying solely on parent coaching and then guiding them through, I now you can affect change. Exactly. And you don't have to bring a bag of toys or anything that vibrates with you. Just saying. But- I know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know. That's a conversation I, for another day. <laughs> it is. But I do, I've, I've talked to um, a few, quite a few people now on, because you're East Coast, right? Are yes, you, ma'am. Yeah. So, you know, and I know that that's, I think where you are, it's becoming a bigger thing. Um, no, like do the, you know why? It's because they make them things down the street for me and it makes my heart unhappy. Sorry. <laughs> really, truthfully, it's 20 minutes from my house. I literally live in the epicenter where all things that vibrate and you can bite on are created. And Oh my gosh, how funny. Yeah, the irony, right? Well, but but it's out here. Like I feel like that whole bagless therapy thing of like not taking anything into the home is not quite, it's, it's just not as, I don't hear about it as much from SLPs out here. And I'm I'm always like, Cause I'm, I mean, Michelle, I'm just, maybe it's just me being lazy, but I'm not a good, I'm not good at like, I, I, I for sure want this and I want this toy and I want to bring this. Cause I have, I do see a, a student for home hospital service. So I will go into his home. Um, not right now, but typically. And yeah. uh, so it's very similar to, you know, and I'm like, I'm all, always like, I don't, he, he has stuff there. Like mom has like toys. Why do I need to bring anything else? Yes. Um, yes. And, and whatever he's there. And because whatever he has there is what mom's going to be able to use when I leave. Like, Thank you. So Yes. Yeah. Like, why am I going to go crazy trying to plan when it's not my strength anyways? But. Can I give you a round of applause? Like, you can't see me, but I'm like, yes. Thank you, Morris, Maria. <laughs> I called you Maria. Oh, my you God. Did? We were getting ready. Uh, my um, One of my best friends growing up was Maria Hinkle. And so, oh, like, yeah. whenever there's a Maria, I'm like, Maria, no, but but we also called her Hinkle. She, we played softball together. She Aww. was um, first base to my shortstop, and oh, my God, she had an arm, the likes of which, like, I took a ball to the face more than once because I just oh. couldn't keep up. Yeah. <laughs> she was a beast, dude. She How went funny. Navy. She went Navy officer. Um, oh, dang. Where Maria, yeah, she was, she's a beast, dude. She was, knew, knew her muchness. Okay, squirrel. Okay, so <laughs> parent coaching and implementing collaboration for the school-based SLP. Yeah. Because that's, this is where I struggle being the EI SLP. And like, I do have a couple of kids that are like school-aged, but like yeah. I'm working with my counterpart in school. So like, how do we go about making effective collaboration there through parent coaching? I think, and see, and that's that's something I will say. I've been, I've had a harder time with, that as well. Um, and I'll bring up my little guy that I do, I was going in the home for, for home hospital services because that family also had outside speech services. And it was, I will say this, in this situation, this is the, the best example because I had regular meetings with the, the um, outside SLP or that I should say the EI SLP. And mm-hmm. then I was working with mom, obviously on different days, but some days you know, we would try and schedule it so she could be there doing her session with him. And we would all just have one session together, Mm -hmm. which I, you know, I really loved because I don't get to see that as much or I don't see it as much. And I think what makes it hard for 
school-based SLPs, not that I'm trying to complain or anything. And I, and I don't know what her caseload was like, but I think on my end, you know, I'm on a contract day with however many kids on my caseload. Um, and so sometimes for me and my brain, if somebody doesn't reach out to me, it's not always my first thought to reach out to them just because mm-hmm. I have, you know, 40 plus kids that I would want to do that for. So this specific, not that I should, that's something I definitely want to get better at. If I find out they have outside services, it's like, okay, like I want to get in touch. But then, you know, for on my end, there's the whole bureaucratic paperwork process of getting yes. a, a release form and stuff. It's actually, it feels a lot easier if that outside provider comes to me. Yes. Because then I can shoot them the email with the information. And it, yeah, so that that part of it does make it easier. Another thing too, usually if students have, you know, more intense needs. I'm not the case manager, so I'm not in charge of that paperwork. So that's another part of it that gets really messy because I may want that contact with the SLP to collaborate. But if I'm not the case manager and I haven't been proactive about getting that paperwork, um, then I can't have that contact until that's done, I guess, because it's like a whole IEP release form where we can now, you know, communicate basically because of HIPAA and everything like that. And FERPA, you add, you, you then and you're FERPA. hit double layers, HIPAA and FERPA. It's both, um, yeah. Yeah, HIPAA is patient protection, y'all, and FERPA is student yeah. protection. That does extend all the way up into, like, universities, yeah. doctorate students as well, yes. Yeah, and so, but what I've noticed when I do have that, you know, when, when there's solid kind of parent training and communication between the two speech pathologists, I've seen it so that way, you know, I'll come in for my session with the little guy and mom is right away like, okay, so yesterday in when um, the speech, the other speech pathologist came, we did this, this, and this. And so, you know, she can tell me about it. And I'll be like, oh, great. Like, show me. Because then what, you know, maybe she doesn't see that I'm doing, but what I'm doing is kind of letting her just experience doing it on her own. And I'm right there, but she Mm -hmm. gets to teach me, which I know through as the kind of learner I am, I don't really learn something until I get to teach how to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was one of the things, you know, with Hannon that they kind of told us like, you know, don't let a parent leave the session without them showing you what you just told them to do. You don't just give people information and then expect them to walk away knowing how to do it. Like give them the opportunity to do it and then kind of tell them what they were doing really well with and tell them how to keep, you know, honing different skills. So that was really cool to, to be able to, you know, kind of know, okay, you know, the, the SLP and I were on the same page, but I would want to see what mom was doing after she was there and vice versa kind of a thing. So, you know, you show me what Miss Marie did and then, you know, you show me what Miss, I don't remember her name, what Miss Jones did or whatever her name was. Susie um, Q. Sorry. Susie Q. My little, there Susie we go. Susie Q and Billy Bob. I love it. Your little name. Yes. <laughs> Those are my fictitious names. Susie Q and Billy Bob. There you go. Yeah. So I think that's, that's big, but I did, you know, my CF year, I, I had an SLP consistently throughout the year. We had a really, we had a student with a really severe stutter stutter, and he was only like, he was a fresh five-year-old. So he was a little guy and it was really hard for him. Um, I've never, that is a great description of fresh, five, a fresh five-year-old. Cause you know what? They can be fresh. They're, Let me tell you. Well, and you know what we say too, um, in preschool world, when we get a new three-year-old, we're like, he's a fresh three. Like, this kid has never been in school. That's what it means. It's like they are little, yes. little, right? Uh, yeah, fresh five-year-old. They're like a transitional kindergarten kid. They probably didn't turn yes. five till like October. <laughs> so, yes. you know, so yeah, he was, you know, and, and for him, like we needed to talk like twice a month. And so I think that, and and then we would talk with mom too. And mom would come in and sit in on my sessions in the, in the schools, which is pretty rare. But, you know, mom, awesome. mom was also really good. And I think what happened there too was, the outside SLP told mom she because the outside SLP had the benefit of working in the schools first before being mm-hmm. in a private practice. And she told mom, Hey, you can ask to go observe his sessions as long as the, he's alone, you know? And so, cause that's, that's now being, you know, four years in and, and knowing like how to coach parents or a little bit more about how to coach parents and, and talk to them and make them feel empowered. It's like, Oh yeah. I would totally tell a parent. Yeah. You go in. Like it's so intimidating as the school-based SLP to have that. But um, I'm so glad that, you know, another speech pathologist kind of guided mom to, to let her know, like, you have the ability to go in and see 
what's working for your son and what's, you know, how the strategies she's using and because she wanted me to model them for mom. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, so I think that's something too, that I guess to answer your question, (laughs) as far as kind of bridging that gap between the outside provider and the school-based provider and the parent, like it's, it's almost like thinking of it as like a team of three of us. Um, Yes, it is. um, Okay. Yeah. So in my world, I, I don't do that much language, like truth be told, like if I do mm-hmm. do language, it's language acquisition on like an AAC device or like, like we're doing like first words, right. Mm-hmm. Or passing your valve tribes, which is a whole nother other conversation. Um, but I do so much feeding and swallowing. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I say feeding and swallowing, but really truthfully, like when we finally get the new PFD, our code in October, an oropharyngeal dysphagia can cluster under um, PFD. So like, let's mm-hmm. just go ahead and put that out there. But with my, with my little ones, I will, as the outside clinician, because I ha- I was an SLT, a speech language teacher, a speech teacher back in Virginia, which is basically mm-hmm. like an SLPA a lifetime ago. That's what I did when I was going to grad school full-time, um, which is absolutely for the birds. I don't know how I managed to muster the two simultaneously, but like <laughs> I know. we did and we survived, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so go team. But I, uh, at the time when I was in the public schools, nobody told me that like we couldn't request for things. So like Maggie <laughs> Michelle would just be like to my SLP that signed off on everything. I was like, yeah, but like, don't they need to see X, Y, and Z? And she goes, well, they can, but we have to say it. X, we have to say it this way because right. bless her heart, she was getting ready to retire. So I met this woman on her way out the door. So she didn't care and was like, yeah, <laughs> they need to see ENT, send them to ENT. But like most people right. that work in the public schools know you can't just like send everybody everywhere because the school district could inadvertently get caught footing the bill. So like, uh-huh. long story short, uh-huh. I was in, thrown into a very unique situation inside of a unique situation where we sent people to genetics, to cardiology, and like, <laughs> I didn't know that that was not normal. And like, in retrospect, that woman, she was, she was ballsy. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how to yeah. see that even more. And I'm so blessed, so blessed to have had her as a mentor, right? Right, right. Because I saw advocacy and engagement at a critical period in my 20s. Yeah. And by a woman who was in a fortunate position. So anywho, yeah. flash forward right. 15 years, like how many more years later am I? And yeah, actually 15 years. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> and I understand that it is easier for me as the private practitioner sure. to reach out to the school districts and hold these crucial conversations. And so here's here's what we do. Go in, have the family request the IEP meeting. And when you meet for the IEP meeting, this is not a, because it can be intimidating for both. Mm-hmm. This is not a blame game. This is not a, I'm doing this and it's working out better. You need to be doing this. What you're doing isn't working. It is a, we are coming at this from two different frames of points of mind. Right. You're more likely bound to write goals that are slightly more academic than mine. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, and that's okay, but we can meet in the middle to meet this child's functional language needs. And what I have found is when it's all about the words and the phrasings and seeking to understand and being humble. And when yeah. you, and when you go at it from those perspectives, you can reach goals and strategies and accommodations that meet language and feeding needs. And right. that is really, really cool because it's for those kids that when we do get those opportunities, oh my God, they make so much more progress. They do. I'm just like reminiscing down memory lane of my kids that are like, learn self-feeding inside of three months. And you're like, yes. Yeah. Well, but it's so true, you know, and that's, and going back to, you know, my, my full inclusion program that I love so much because one of the things that really does make it work, it's, it's so great. Yes. To have the gen ed peers and the kids that have identified needs, you know, in one class all year long and like 
most of speech, it's like I might pull them out, but I do a lot of push in. And the reason I do that is because I'm, I'm, I go in to support the teachers um, mm-hmm. and to, and, and I have a unique position too, where I, you know, I don't see this big divide between even teachers and SLPs because in my position, um, unlike the other SLPs in my district, um, but in the preschool world in my district, we are working with the teachers so much and the collaboration is so crucial. And I see my students make the biggest gains, one, when they have access to their peer models, but two, when the adults can collaborate, when they're not this push and shove, you know, I'm not walking in there saying, nope, I'm the speech expert, not you. I'm walking in there like, hey, try this. And, you know, hey, what is working with you? Like, what's working for you today? You know, are you using his visuals? Are they working? Like, versus me saying, no, you're not using his visuals. You need to use his visuals, you know? (laughs) If there's a difference, like you said, in the way we phrase things and how we walk into a room and what what that collaboration really looks like. And if we can do that with the other professionals, whether they're outside service providers in an IEP or they're the, the, all the teachers and service providers in one classroom, um, the student is going to have the best, you know, progress, I guess, is, is the way I'm trying to say that. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely, 100% agree. We are on the same team. And this is why we do not engage as silo practitioners and we get out of our silos and get on the <laughs> professional practice team because that can include SLPs in multiple settings. Huzzah. Like, <laughs> reaching out to the SLP that actually does the swallow study, but like we yeah. covered that one. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. So talk to me about gratitude. Wait. Okay. I have to phrase this with. Um, Pack Dawson, sorry, that's what we call ourselves, my husband and the boys, um, Goose and Bear, who have, talk about nicknames, right? We play the Grateful Game, so uh, every morning, and we've done this for, I don't know, like maybe four years now, like really truthfully. On the way to school in the morning, we would say, today I am grateful for, and then I make them pick something, right? And, and. And it is really cool because you when you wake up, you're supposed to give joy in the morning. So when we're on our way to um, for me to drop them off, um, we it it also gives me keen insight into how my kids are doing. Yeah, because like this is the pandemic and the transition. What we're asking our students and our patients to do, we've never asked. Right, it's never been asked of them. Right, exactly, and. And it's, and our ki- kids are, they're as exhausted as we are juggling being full-time SLPs and girlfriends mm-hmm. and wives and mothers and aunts and uncles and grands. Like we got to check in with our tiny humans and we play the I'm grateful game. So mommy always says today I'm grateful. And this is mine. Um, today I'm grateful that God and Jesus love us and they want what's best for us. And today I'm grateful that mommy and daddy work hard to provide for our family and then those are my stock ones. And then, um, because I always want them to hear that. And then we go into something specific. Like today I am grateful. Ooh, we had chocolate waffles. Have you had the Kodiak chocolate waffles? They're like protein infused oh. chocolate waffles. No, I've Dude. had the, the regular ones, the Kodiak okay. ones, but not chocolate. Okay. The chocolate ones with strawberry <gasps> jelly on top. Oh my God. <laughs> I am not proponing or selling of their product. I'm just saying <laughs> my kids are happy about them things. So like, ta-da. Yeah. But, um, yeah. That's what mama was grateful for today. And so we're goose and bear. But like, yeah. um, but like that's, that's how we infuse gratitude in our life. So what is gratitude to you and how can we implement gratitude and mindfulness into our speech therapy and parent coaching? That was three questions in one. I'm okay. sorry. Okay. No, don't be sorry. Just just remind me if I miss anything. Um, but what gratitude is to me, I mean, it's, it's kind of like you said, it's infusing joy into your day. I think um, originally when I was like, you know, back in like my, my early to mid twenties, it was like, you know, kind of, I mean, that's young adulthood though. It's like, you're like, who am I? What am I doing in life? And all this stuff. And, <laughs> And gratitude was something where I knew like that was the one place where I was like, well, I know I can always at the end of the day, like find something to be grateful for. And that's something that my mom, you know, kind of like you're doing for Goose and Bear, but that's 
something my mom always had us as kids like coming back to like there's always something to be grateful for and she actually you know she gave me my first gratitude journal when I was in um, high school and um, you know encouraged me to do it like to make a gratitude list once a day and I you know I always knew like it it did make me feel so good to do that and so I always wanted to keep doing that um, and I've kind of learned through the last couple of years just in working with my students and when I can go into my speech sessions thinking of the things I'm grateful for it I'm you know, I'm less, even if it's like a crazy time of year or I'm having like a rough day, I'm, I can be more present in with my students or with my people outside of work and things like that. Um, when I am a little bit more focused on what I'm grateful for, um, it definitely, you know, especially in this last year, having that focus and really, really like some days like coming on strong with it for myself because I've had a harder time, maybe transitioning with all the changes in the last year, whether it's at work or just in life, it's definitely helped me be less fearful of change. It's, I've been way more accepting. I think, I think the last year has really even taken me a notch down as far as like, I'm way less type A um, because I just have accepted change is inevitable and I don't care to try to control it anymore. No, but that's accurate. Yeah. Like I had this goal of finishing my book so long ago. And like whenever I had to postpone it because like something else came up that was pressing for my family, like I would feel like a failure. Right. And my husband was like, baby, you're trying to, the boys are out of school where half the day was taught Mandarin and I speak English and bad English. And so like, <laughs> as a parent, like I felt like a failure that I had to put, I couldn't teach them that half of their coursework and I couldn't yeah. juggle all my professional hats, but I had to flip the script and focus on, okay, but like, we're doing this well, like yeah. everybody's clean ish. I mean, they're boys. So like, are they ever really clean? <laughs> yeah, The answer is no. no. And it's okay. But yeah. is it? I don't know. They're so I don't know. Clean. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're happy and thriving. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah it, but it definitely you know it's helped me um realize like what, what my priorities are kind of like that like do I need to focus on you know I don't know do I need to be so like focused on little details or do I you know I have all these great things going on right now so I can focus on you know what what there is to be grateful for I don't know but I think that I've seen it just help me shift again into being more present in the moments that um, that really matter to me. And it it's something that now, you know, kind of like being a speech pathologist and, and so on one hand, it's like using it in my professional career for me and for the, the my colleagues, right? And like kind of trying to, um, you know, just, always bring in something that we can be grateful for. The other day we had a very frustrating meeting, <laughs> district meeting. And afterwards I was talking with a couple of my, you know, speech friends and we all kind of went around the table and we vented, we had our, you know, we felt our feelings and everything, mm -hmm. but something I've noticed in myself and not to, I'm not trying to brag, but I did kind of um, instinctively now because I've just made such a point to do it is I said, but you know what? I'm really grateful that we get to see our students and we're back to in-person now. And, you know, and I realized in that moment, like, okay, we just, it, cause it totally shifted the conversation. Then we all started sharing funny stories about things that had happened in the first week of seeing the kids. And, you know, we talked about boogers, but it was hilarious. <laughs> cause you missed them. We as, missed them. as terrible as they are, you missed your mm -hmm. booger story. Oh, a hundred percent. I, you know, I mean, the boogers are a little scarier now, but, um, <laughs> but you know, we've got our PPE and I'm, you know, I'm feeling okay with it, but you know, so yeah, so it just, the, the power I've seen it have in with adults to shift a conversation, um, makes me really like, okay, how can I use this in my speech sessions with my kids? What kind of, you know, they're three to five, but we can talk about things that make us happy. And we yes. can, you know, and like you said, on when you're in your morning routine, like, what can we talk about that we're grateful for or that makes us smile? I mean, there's, there's so many ways you can shift or you can change the language up just to meet, meet where the child is at. But then, you know, and then I think, okay, but I, I have some students that maybe they're not, um, they're not speaking yet. And 
I, I might just talk about what makes me happy or when they smile, I'll say that made you happy, you know, and celebrate that and talk about it more. And so that's definitely a goal of mine because I think you might've touched on this a little bit too. It's like that social emotional piece of their development at any age, not just in early intervention, but you know, when we talk about communication and social emotional, for me, that goes hand in hand and the gratitude and the being present and everything, not only does it help us as clinicians to be really observing what our clients are maybe going through and to be a little bit more empathetic and understanding, Mm -hmm. but also for them to kind of model and, and to help them have a way to find some grounding in times of frustration or things like that, or even when they're not frustrated and we just want to work on it. We do this thing called the faith five at night and we don't do, we've variated from the original, right? But one thing that we do every night is what was your low point today? And what was your high point? Mm-hmm. And when we were littler, we would say, what was your sad point today? And what was your happy point today? Mm-hmm. And for Bear, it was really helpful with his language expansion and Mm -hmm. narrative retelling because we went through and, I mean, yes, I'm in that moment a mom, but I'm always an SLP, right? Yeah. I just can't be his SLP. So like when he said it and he was like, "Um, Bear eat tootsies. I'm like, yes, Bear had cookies. And he would always say no to me because he did not like me fixing his phonological processes. Oh. But, um, and he's got his mother sass, but like, you know, like Bear loved his titties. And so like, ta-da. Um, but that was, and he always called himself Bear, but like Goose called himself Gooser. And like, that was just too cute. I couldn't fix it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. But <laughs> Gooser needs four cookies. And I'm like, Gooser needs one. <laughs> This is, I can't complain about my jelly roll when we eat this much chocolate waffles and cookies. Come on. <laughs> but those are um, having those recaps. And those are something that like what I found was that when I was doing parent coaching with kids that were working like around the same developmental age as, as Boo, like those were those were opportunities to say, well, ask him, you know, what was start with low and end on your high. Like what made them sad today? Or like, what made you happy today? And like my little guy is doing his AAC device. Like he, mom is so funny. Like he'll go back to, um, he likes to name his peoples, his village. So he goes back to the family page and like, and like he hits and they see uncle Billy Bob and aunt Susie Q. And mom's like, yeah, you saw uncle Billy Bob on Sunday. And then he's like, Uncle Billy Bob, I love you, Uncle Billy Bob. Like he's like Aww. tapping it. And and mom's like, Yeah. And Uncle Billy Bob threw you up in the air and scared mommy. And you thought that was funny. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> but like language expansion. He's working on narrative retelling. And I'm and I'm just like so proud because she is recapping and rephrasing like what happened. And that's a way to embed. That's his happy moment. That's their gratitude. And, yeah, exactly. And, and that's my gosh. We're not out of the woods yet, but we are. We are on the path. Yeah. And it's the opportunity to look back now and say, like, y'all, we we survived this, maybe not unscathed, mm-hmm. but. In all of the heartache, we still have much to be grateful for as professionals and as individuals. Right. And, and our families are in the same boat. And our colleagues are there. So, yeah. like, we have the opportunity to journal it. Oh, my gosh. Shauna, my girlfriend from Reno, Nevada. She, I've never met a journaler as much as she loves to journal. And she's she's volunteering on their, on their board. But, like... You and her would get along like peanut butter and jelly, oh, um, but or chocolate clump Kodiak. There we go. Cake with jelly, huzzah! Yeah, um, <laughs> that needs to be the new thing. <laughs> Seriously, y'all go try that. But I was inspired by her because she was like, "This is how I process everything," and that's a good mental health strategy for us too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's, I think, that's what I realized probably when I started to really understand 
the importance of self-reflection, which was um, right at right in the middle of my grad school experience, actually. I understood it because my my same professor that was hand and trained instead of this is my favorite part about my grad school program was the fact that not instead of soap notes, but instead of having our our um, soap notes, our you know whatever documentation notes, <laughs> uh, we were doing instead of doing it formally, she had us do it in the form of a self reflective like journal entry for our autism oh, clinic, cool. and it was through that that I realized how much I loved what I was doing in the clinic and how important it was to be present and. Um, and I loved that method of, of, cause I'm a big reflect, like I'm a big self-reflector. I love having a journal and I always was the kid with the diary taking it everywhere I went. Um, <laughs> I used to so- call mine my diarrhea because I didn't know <laughs> the difference. I'm sorry. Oh, oh, I love that. My dad never corrected me cause he thought it was so funny. Wow. Oh my God. That's, that's hilarious. Messed up memory in retrospect. Continue. Right? Sorry. No, no, but it was, that was, you know, it's so funny. Um, but I really, you know, really understood that part of how, like, how using maybe the gratitude lists, like, and, and just having a time to self-reflect, because that's what I used that time for. It was like, okay, I, you know, before I go to bed, I'm going to write 10 things I'm grateful for. And after kind of learning how important self-reflection was for me as a student clinician, I was like, you know what, like, I'm going to let my mind flow a little bit more with these gratitude lists. And it just, it's very telling sometimes for me. It's a very good way for me to check in with myself. And so why not have that skill be something, you know, a little bit more that, and that's why I talk about it so much on Instagram, because I want everybody to see, you know, even if you don't like to write the fact and the importance in taking time for yourself to sit and maybe think about what you're grateful for, and then let your mind kind of go into maybe different things. I love that lows and highs thing. Cause it, it helps mm-hmm. us understand what we're feeling and maybe why we're feeling it. Cause mm-hmm. for little kids, I know emotions are big and they're hard and they're learning them. But for many adults that I know, including myself, like emotions can be big and hard. And so it's really important to have those, those kind of, I guess, strategies, you know, to, mm-hmm. to help with our mental health. And, and so, yeah, I like, I like kind of trying to use those things with my little ones. I like the food log. And yes, I have my families utilize a food log so that we can track the kiddos' progression of foods. Yeah. But you look back after three months of data collection and see where you are, like as a parent, that is so empowering. Like that yeah. is seriously so empowering. And, and, and you know, I'll, I'll tell them when it's a good day, like star it, put a heart next to it, right day was a good day yeah and then look back and then when you're like oh my god yeah today was a good day but like wow look at where <laughs> we were like six months ago and yeah. I mean like today's a great day in comparison I mean like then your new rough days still are better than what you thought what a good day was and that's yeah that's really empowering y'all joy joy can be found even in the midst of all this, you just gotta, you gotta seek it, but it promise that it's there. Um, she's always just right there. So yes. Okay. Is there anything else that you want to, any other pearls of wisdom, my dear friend? Oh my goodness. You know, I don't, I don't think so. <laughs> that was just, I just feel so, it's funny. I'm so exhausted today. And then now we've talked and I just feel so like re-energized. I, feel, <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love talking about this stuff. And I think that's really like, you know, it's like, it, it really shows you, you know, you could be, you could be exhausted on like five and a half hours of sleep and three IEP meetings in one day. And then, you know, you just, you just sit and, and talk about, things you're grateful for or even just have a conversation about it and it it really does help um Mm -hmm. your energy put it in perspective yes Mm -hmm. and and I have found that when when we are open about our flaws and our cracks like lord knows I got them but when we're open about them we can let our joy shine through and so like I know I've struggled with finding gratitude 
and and because I have been frustrated off and on throughout the year, but it's a choice. And that's what I did when Boo, like Boo wiped out on the soccer fields and skinned his knees. I'm like, son, it's a flesh wound. It ain't that bad. You haven't lost a pint of blood. You're okay. And yeah. like, you know, we, we circle back. He just banged on the door because he heard me talking about him. <laughs> but like when we talk about that and then I'm like, but you're okay. And flip it. You're choosing to focus on the negativity. Let's focus on the good thing. You kick the ball. Like right. he didn't quite make it to the net, but like he kicked it and that's huge. And choose the joy. Okay. Squirrel, because he's going to come in here and start pouting. Okay. But <laughs> if, if someone wants to learn more from you, where can they go? How can they reach you? Um, probably the quickest way to reach me is messaging me on Instagram. So at thanks Morris. And then I also have a website, thanksmorris.com where, um, you can join my email list and I send out weekly newsletters just with updates, you know, anything new happening with the gratitude journals, or, um, I also send out in those newsletters, weekly gratitude prompts to, you know, if you just want to whip out a piece of paper and, and have some self-reflection time. So that's, a part of that as well. But I also, you know, I try to share those as regularly as I can on Instagram too. Awesome. Everybody out there, as always, thank you for joining us today. Be sure to check us out on at First Bite Podcast on Instagram and check us the First Bite Podcast Facebook page. And, you know, we love it when y'all leave us an Apple Podcast review. So be sure to go over there and tell us what part of First Bite you're grateful for. And <laughs> Seriously, thank y'all for being part of our first bite journey. Feeding Matters guides system-wide changes by uniting caregivers, professionals, and community partners under the Pediatric Feeding Disorder Alliance. So what is this alliance? The alliance is an open access collaborative community focused on achieving strategic goals within three focus areas, education, advocacy, and research. So who is the alliance? It's you. The Alliance is open to any person passionate about improving care for children with a pediatric feeding disorder. To date, 187 professionals, caregivers, and partners have joined the Alliance. You can join today by visiting the Feeding Matters website at www.feedingmatters.org. Click on PFD Alliance tab and sign up today. Change is possible when we work together. That's a wrap, folks. Once again, thank you for listening to First Bite, fed, fun, and functional. I'm your humble but yet sassy host, Michelle Dawson, the All Things Peds SLP. This podcast is part of a course offered for continuing education through speechtherapypd.com. Please check out the website if you'd like to learn more about CEU opportunities for this episode, as well as the ones that are archived. And as always, remember, feed your mind, feed your soul, be kind, and feed those babies. Mm-hmm.